And let's take our Bibles. We will turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You know, one day a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. And she starts studying her mom's hair. The mom had brunette hair but she noticed some strands of white that were starting to show up. So the little girl thinks a little longer, and then she says, Mommy, how come you have some white hairs in there with all the black hairs? The mom looks right at her without batting an eye, and she says, each one of those white hairs represents something that you've done that's wrong. And it makes mommy so sad that part of her hair turns white. The little girl kind of looked down, and then she had a kind of quizzical look on her face and said, well, Mom, you must have been a very bad girl when you were little. (laughs) And she said, why? Because all of Grandma's hairs are white. (laughs) Isn't it easy to see the wrong in other people, the sin in other people, and forget about our own? An authentic view of holiness, an authentic view of our own sin helps us to see that, yes, we're all sinners. We have a holy God. We have a God who is authentic holiness And sometimes when it comes to our own personal holiness, we excuse our sin, we try to overlook it, we refuse to acknowledge what is truly there. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, talk about an authentic view of sin. And what we're going to see this morning is that God is perfect in His holiness There is a purity when it comes to God's holiness and glory that none of us can ever approach. God has perfection in that. But then we're going to see that there are some problematic claims that we can make about our own sin to where we refuse to acknowledge the sinfulness of our own sin. And that breaks fellowship with a holy and pure God. That's what we want to see this morning as we get into this text. So let's start with the fifth verse. And as we come to the fifth verse, we see the purity of God's holiness and glory. And we begin by looking at John explain to us the source for his information about purity and holiness. He wants us to understand the person who is behind this message. And of course, that person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in that fifth verse. This is the message we have heard from him, referring to the one that he speaks of in the first four verses. The Lord Jesus Christ who came to reveal God's truth. The Lord Jesus Christ who perfectly and best represents who God is. Because he is God himself who took on flesh 
This is the one who brings this message to John, and it is the one who brings the message to us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So what John is about to share is truth from the one who is the ultimate in truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to share about two important truths about God, God's holiness and God's glory. Now, in order for us to understand what John is about to share with us, we have to define some terms. And the first one of those terms that we need to define is holiness. Now, all of us have heard that term holiness, but what does it mean? Holiness, very simply, is speaking of how God stands alone for who he is. He is absolutely who he is. He alone is like him. No one can approach being who God is in any way, shape, or form. That is God's holiness. So really, when we look at holiness, it's the defining attribute for all of God's attributes. When it comes to love, while we may love other people, we can never approach the way God loves. He is unique. He stands alone in his love. When it comes to sinlessness, man, can we not approach the sinlessness of God. There are some people, I'm convinced, who think they have, but that very attitude is evidence of sin. God alone is sinless. So all of the attributes of God are unique He is the standard by which everything else is compared. That is how God is holy. Now, often the holiness of God is used in reference to sin, so let's talk about what sin is. Sin is that which stands opposed to all that God is and all that God stands for. It is rebellion on our part that says, I will choose my own path. I will go my own independent way apart from what the Creator has established, I, the created, can come up with my own rules. That's sin. So God in His holiness will always be consistent with who He is. God never ceases to be God. He is holy, unique, set apart, different from all of creation. Now, what about the glory of God? When we talk about God's personal holiness and glory, what do we mean by his glory? We hear people talk about the glory of God all the time. But we need to understand from Scripture what that idea of glory really means. Glory is God radiating or disclosing himself to creation. It's an expression of God's character and nature. So when we talk about the glory of God, we talk about those things that are consistent with who God is. And it is an expression of that to everyone around them, to all of creation. We can see the glory of God in the material things that God has created. You go out and 
if it's a clear enough night and if you're away from the lights of Chicago, you can look up into the skies and see star upon star upon star. And you look at that and you say, that is an expression of God's creative power. You can look in a microscope and see single-celled animals and the complexity of these single-celled animals. And you can say, that is our amazing God and his attention to detail, that even single-celled animals have a complexity that amazes me. You can drive into the mountains. For a while, Paula and I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. We would drive into the mountains to take one of my famous drives where we get lost. And we would explore. And there were some turns that you would make there in the Rockies where you had to pull off the road. As a matter of fact, they had a place where you could pull off the road because you had to go there and just let your jaw drop and say, wow, this is part of God's creation. That's his glory. It's God disclosing his creative power. We see God disclosing his power to us in so many ways. That is the glory of God. And (coughs) we see God disclosing himself to us in the word of God and in the changed lives of God's followers. All of that is the glory of God. So, When John begins to talk about this next statement that we come to, the fact that God is light, what he's disclosing to us is a statement about the holiness and the glory of God. So let's look at this statement together. In the fifth verse, it says, This is the message we have heard from him proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. When John is saying that God is light, what he's saying is God is holy, God is glorious. And we know this because in John's gospel, this is how light was used. It was used as a description throughout that gospel of the holiness and of the glory of God. God is completely holy completely glorious. There isn't a mixture within him. And listen, this would have been such a comfort to the readers of the first century who had worshipped pagan gods. When we look at the pagan gods of the religions that surrounded the area in which John wrote, the gods that people worshipped that were not the true gods, these were idols and false gods They had dualism, good components and evil components, light components and dark components. There was a mixture between the two. When John is saying in this text that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, what he's communicating to us is God is absolutely consistent. There are no inconsistencies with God. He is good all the time. God is pure in his character, in his nature. There isn't a mixture of goodness and evil. There is only the God who is good, the God who is just, the God who is holy, 
the God who is glorious. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. Now, what we find in Scripture is this, that when people were confronted with the light of God's truth, they preferred darkness to the light. In fact, John writes this in his gospel. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now here, John is poetically, excuse me, Jesus is poetically referring to himself as the light. He was the ultimate revelation of God's truth. And what he's saying is this, when people saw what God is like in the flesh, they rejected him. And they preferred darkness to the light. Look at verse 20 as it continues. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So what happens? Sinful man comes to holy God. And the moment sinful man stands before a holy God, there is the recognition, I am a sinner. So you know what we do? Rather than coming and saying, my sins will be exposed, I'm going to hide. When the first sin was committed in the garden, what did man immediately do? Hide. Because the light exposes our darkness. And then verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. In other words, when we do do what is right, it's not us. It is God working through us. So this is that light-dark relationship. God is completely light. Light radiates from him. Have you ever heard the saying, things will be clearer in the light of day? That's an expression where we talk about truth exposing something. This is what God's light does with our sin. It exposes it. It shows it for what it is. And the only way that we can hope to be delivered from our sin is through the light that John mentions here or that Jesus himself mentioned. This is a quotation of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. When we come to the light, Jesus, we have our sin addressed. That's why Jesus said this. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while. Now, again, this is a reference to himself. And he says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, now here's the key. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. See, here's the thing about us. While God cannot help but be light, because that is who he is. When I try to behave like light in my own strength, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I can't pull it off. I'm not God. I need God to transform me, to change me, so that I can do the work of the light even though there is still darkness in me. I need the light of God to 
consistently change me, to bring forgiveness into my life. And I accomplish that through what? Through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the solution to my problem of darkness. And the Word of God brings this out clearly. Now, as we continue in this text, we then come to verse 6. That usually does follow verse 5, by the way. And we find some problematic claims about sin that are answered by God's truth. And what we begin with is found here in the sixth verse. And the problematic claim is this. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here's the first claim. I can practice sin, but I'm still tight with God. I still have fellowship with him. You know, I was watching a show. I shared this with my seniors Bible study earlier this week. But I was watching a show, channel surfing, and this young kid comes on, and he's talking about his life of alcoholism, prostitution, all of these terrible things that he was engaging in. He used much coarser language than what I'm using. And then, in the same breath, he said, but me and God, we're tight. I repent every day. In fact, he wrote a song that spoke to that idea. And I did the old forehead slap, you know, come on. Are you kidding me? The claim was, I can walk in darkness and still have fellowship with God. And that's completely inconsistent. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I am walking with God in close fellowship and have a life that reads the complete opposite. It's inconsistent. It's false. And so here, John is calling that out. He's bringing attention to this fact. He wants us to see that if we have fellowship with God, our life will show that we are consistent with the light rather than the darkness. Now, let me define fellowship with God. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a relationship with God. That relationship with God will transform you. It will change you. But as fallen individuals, we can still fall into sin. We can sort of slide down that slippery slope where sin lies to us and says, you can get away with it. Don't worry about it. We fall for it. Fellowship with God talks about that close experience of intimacy with Him. And that close relationship of intimacy with God is directly influenced by my disobedience. And that, I believe, is what John is talking about in this passage. I have three sons. They will always be my sons. 
We have relationship. But there were times during their youth where they would be rebellious and disobedient and we would be at odds. And while I had the relationship of father with them, we sure didn't have much fellowship for the time being because there were things that we needed to resolve, things that needed to be addressed. And so here, when John is saying to us, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, I think there are two possibilities. One is, yes, it is possible for a believer to have a relationship with God, but to be out of fellowship with God. I think of David. In the Old Testament, we find that David definitely had a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, David is called a man after God's own heart, right? And he was called that even before the notorious sin that he committed with Bathsheba. If you remember in the Old Testament, David committed the sin of lust by looking upon a woman named Bathsheba. Then he committed the sin of adultery by acting on that lust. And then to cover up the sin of adultery, he committed murder. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be what I would consider walking in darkness. And yet, here he is having this relationship with God. But there came that place of repentance to where David expressed that he had gone down the wrong path and that he needed to turn to God. And listen, this is what the child of God will do. The child of God will come to their senses, repent of their sin, and restore their fellowship with God because they live miserably until they do so. This is what David said when it came to his own personal sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, now look at this, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Sounds like a guy who is broken, doesn't it? Out of fellowship with the God he has relationship with. And this is where we can be. We can be those who are out of fellowship with God. We can be those who are walking in darkness. And don't you dare claim that you have fellowship with God if that's where you are in your walk right now. (coughs) What needs to take place is repentance. But there's one other possibility. If you're walking in darkness and you claim to have fellowship with God, and you even claim to have a relationship with God, (coughs) but you continue down, down that path, and there's never any consequence for what happens to you. You need to question whether or not you have a relationship with God. And here's why. The Word of God is very clear in the book of Hebrews. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and he chastises every son he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. <clears throat> for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Wow, those are harsh words, aren't they? If you are persisting in a sin pattern and a sin practice, and you never find any consequences, you never have your conscience pricked, you never experience the consequences for those sins, then there's a question that you need to ask. Do I have a relationship with God? And I'm not talking about a profession of some sort of relationship with God where you gave some sort of response during a sermon, but your life never really changed as a result. I'm talking about a genuine heart relationship with God. Sometimes it's easy for us who are raised in church to have some sort of experience when we're younger and then to kick it to the curb and live as though we never had anything going on in our relationship with God. And yet, to look back on that event and say, hey, that's, that's where I entered a relationship with God. Prolonged break in fellowship should cause you to question the relationship that you have with God. And I share that because I care about you. Because I love you. And God shares that with us for the same reason, but infinitely more so. Now, look at verse 7. After it talks about this claim, hey, I can have fellowship with God and still walk in the darkness. That's self-deception. We are lying and we do not practice the truth. But in contrast to saying, hey, I, I can fellowship with God and still walk in the darkness. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. Now here, what the word of God is saying to us is this. What is more consistent is to walk in the light and say that you have fellowship with God. If God is light and in him is no darkness at all, then the logical response is, if I have fellowship with God, I'll walk in the light too. I will seek to practice what is right and what is good. And then the last part of that verse where it says we have fellowship with one another, I don't think it's talking about us having fellowship with each other. It's talking about me having fellowship with God. If I really want to experience fellowship with God, then I have to have that obedience, that consistency, that walk, that is a walk in the light. The last part of this verse where it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, this is really communicating to us the idea of sanctification. Now, I'm sure that all of you, oh yes, sanctification. Let's, let's review just in case I need to remember what it means. Sanctification is that process where God transforms us and makes us more holy. Okay? And there are differing aspects to our sanctification. There is, first of all, a 
progressive sanctification. And what that, or excuse me, a positional sanctification. What that means is the moment that I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I become His. That is my position. I have a relationship with God the Father. Then there is progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is my spiritual growth. It's me not becoming sinless, but it is me sinning less as I interact in my relationship with God. It progresses. And then finally, there is our prospective sanctification. And that refers to the end of my salvation when finally sin is put aside and I live sin-free in my relationship with God and everyone else. That is, in a nutshell, the teaching of the Bible concerning our sanctification. So when John says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin, when I trusted Christ, I was cleansed from all of my sin judicially. But experientially, I still sin as a believer. And I don't let that sin go. I don't expect God to wink at it and just say, well, you know what, uh, that's okay. He can continue to persist in that. There's no problem. There is a problem. And the problem is my fellowship with God. And until I renew that fellowship with God, my progressive salvation, experiencing the cleansing of Jesus Christ in my life, not position, I have been cleansed, but in how that impacts my life and affects me, I am not experiencing the power of Christ's cleansing when I'm committed to sin. So the only way that I can get past this is to deal with the sin and to experience in a real way, in real time, that cleansing that Jesus promises. Listen, if you feel distant from God, if you look at your life and you say, I don't feel as close to God as I used to, then stop and take inventory. Is there sin in your life that you're clinging to and saying, I will persist in this and it's okay with God? If that's your position, you are not going to experience what it is to have that peace of forgiveness and cleansing that comes from Jesus Christ. Positionally, you're cleansed. Experientially, a tremendous problem, and your growth, your spiritual growth, will be affected. Second claim, I'm pure. I don't sin. Have you ever met somebody who maybe didn't say that, but they sure gave off that vibe? When I was in my first ministry, there were a couple of college students who believed that they had reached sinless perfection. Five minutes of hanging out with them, and you said, boy, are they self-deluded. I never saw two more arrogant people in all of my life. 
No way have they reached sinless perfection. Listen, none of us should look at ourselves and say, I'm pure, I don't sin. That is living in fantasy world. All of us sin. We really do. And we need to come to terms with that. You see, when it comes to sin, not only are there the sins that we commit, but there are the sins that we omit, the things that God calls us to do that we ignore. So all of us sin, even when we don't realize we're sinning, we sin. Paul talked about the struggle in this in Romans chapter 7 when he said this, I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Ever been in that place? I don't want to do this sin anymore. Oh, man, I just did it. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. Then he goes on to say, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. In other words, Paul said, look, (laughs) I'm broken. I have a sin nature, my flesh, and it's always going to guide me in the direction of sin. But then look at verse 18. After he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, he goes on to say this, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's all of us. None of us can say, I'm sinless, I'm pure, I have nothing wrong with me. Following on the heels of this, look at the ninth verse. The ninth verse goes on to say, rather than denying that I have sin, I need to confess my sin And when I do so, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, to me, 1 John 1.9 is probably one of the most misapplied verses in all of Scripture by Christians. Here's the way many apply it. I can sin with impunity because I got a get out of jail free card. And that's 1 John 1, 9. I will purposely be disobedient and I'll say, oh, I stole. I'm confessing it. Tomorrow I'll steal again. Not what 1 John 1, 9 means. When the scripture talks about if we confess our sins, we have to define that word confess. Confess does not mean to merely acknowledge something. It's from a Greek word that means to speak the same. So in other words, what it's saying is, I will agree with God that this sin is sin. It's me coming in line with God's position on that sin. Not me saying, hey, I sinned and I get to get away with it because I have this formulaic prayer that I can pray at any time. Good deal. No, it's me looking at my sin and saying, God, I have been wretched. 
I have sinned against you. And I agree that that sin is despicable. Listen, if you want your walk with God to be pure, then you have to be authentic about your sin. You have to see it as God sees it. You have to come to terms with it and say, I will agree with you, God, that this is wrong and that I need to repent. And in so doing, you're back on track. You're experiencing the cleansing that Jesus brings into your life. You're experiencing the forgiveness that Jesus brings into your life. Listen, as a believer, have you ever had a guilty conscience? Judicially, you've been forgiven. But man, as far as the way I I feel and the way that I'm experiencing God in my life, it's not there. I'm not knowing or experiencing or understanding the forgiveness and the cleansing of Jesus Christ. What God's word is saying to us in this text is you need to get right with God. You need to agree with him that what you did is sin and take a similar view. Then you will know what it is to experience that forgiveness that God offers and that you have experienced if you're a child of God. So this is what we as believers need to do. Rather than looking at our sin and saying, great, I love to sin because that means I get more grace. As a matter of fact, Paul even addressed this in Romans chapter 5. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The response, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the way we need to view sin. We receive the grace, the forgiveness, the salvation of God. But that doesn't mean that I look and I say, hey, now I have opportunity to do whatever I want to do. I am on board with that. That's great. Not what the Word of God is saying. If you want to experience intimate fellowship with God, don't deny your sin. Final claim. I prefer not to call sin, sin. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Isn't it easy to rationalize sin? That wasn't a lie. That was a little white lie. Harmless. You know, I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing a concern. Right? We are so good at excusing our sin and not calling Sin, sin. Here's something we need to understand. God is the one who sets the terms of our fellowship, not us. And what God calls sin is sin. And he doesn't have to check in with me to see if I'm right on that. He determines. He is God. He is the creator. I am the created. If I look at sin in my life and I say, I'm not really sure that constitutes sin, even when God's word says it, clear as day, 
its sin. Look at the strong language that John uses in this closing verse for us this morning. If I say that I have not sinned, I make him out to be a liar. In other words, what I'm saying to God is what you have said about sin isn't really true. Mm -mm. I don't have the right to do that. And it goes on to say, and his word is not in us. Listen, you are freelancing. You are not walking with the word of God. You're walking with your own rationalization, your own reason, not the word of God. We live in a society that is perpetually redefining what God has said is sin. Our society believes that if we rename something, that it is no longer sin. And our society is wrong. What God says is sin is still sin. And we need to embrace that truth. So this morning, we've seen that God is absolutely perfect in His holiness and His glory. We have seen that He is absolute light and in Him is no darkness at all. And we have seen that if we are to have fellowship with one like God, our responsibility is to align ourselves with what God has revealed. Not what society tells us, not what our own deceitful heart tells us, but what God has revealed in his word. Now this morning, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. If you have never come to the place to where you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, to where you have turned from your sin to him, to seek to have a relationship with God the Father, by placing your faith in Jesus' provision on the cross. God would love to have a relationship with you. It takes you coming to God, confessing your sin, turning to Jesus as your only hope of salvation, accepting the fact that his death on the cross perfectly pays for your sin. That is how you enter into a relationship with God. But you know, this morning, maybe you're a believer and you've lost your way for a little bit. You're out of fellowship with God. Let me share with you. You can have fellowship with God when you deal with your sin as God calls us to. Stop denying the sin. Stop excusing the sin. Recognize it for what it is. Pray for the strength to turn from the sin and to turn to God and to experience the intimacy of a close relationship with Him. This is what God designed us for. And this is what God wants us to experience. Don't allow sin to be that barrier between your intimacy with God. You're selling yourself short when you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us all that we need to call sin what it is, sin. How we thank you for the provision of sin that you've given us, our Lord Jesus Christ.
how blessed we are to know that we can have not only relationship but fellowship with you. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.